This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. The American Nightmare's dream will be over. Punk just said, I didn't wait 10 years to lose to Dusty's kid. And now taking Cody as he looks at the WrestleMania sign and prolongs the agony for Cody Rhodes. Looking for the go to sleep. Cody, though, able to catch him. On the An anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. I give you Super Train! Episode 449, submission number 460, the Cheap Show. The Cheap Show aired in syndication from September of 1978 to September of 1979 for a total of 24 episodes. That's 50% more episodes than your standard Crock Block, which is the 16 episodes that Uncle Crock's Block ran and many, many other shows. The following program, although edited for television, still may contain some objectionable material. The producers feel that alone should be enough to make you stay tuned to this channel. This authentic early American bee smoker worth $9.84 or any one of these other exciting nearly great prizes might be taken home by our contestants. And we have something horrendous in store for their unfortunate loved ones. All this and much, much less tonight on The Cheap Show. And here's the host of The Cheap Show, the only man we can find who worked with Cheap, a man who actually believes in his seconds in the mail, Mr. Dick Martin. Good evening. Good evening. Yeah. They're going to hit me one day with that. Good evening and welcome to their cheap show. It looks like we have a perfect audience tonight. They look as cheap as we are. <laughs> to give you some idea how cheap they are here, some stars get a limousine. I got a bicycle. I did. All in all, they go to very little expense to bring you this show. And you may see some pretty ugly things happen here tonight. But remember, it's all in fun and no one gets hurt. Well, Greg, we're going to talk about another one of those goofy game shows from the late 70s. And this one is renowned for, well, it's cheapness. I mean, you heard it in the name of the show, The Cheap Show. And this came from somebody who's familiar with bizarre TV shows, a gentleman by the name of Chris Beard. And Chris Beard, in case you don't know, he was a producer on The Gong Show. And actually, Adam Needif, good friend of the podcast, tells a story of how Chuck Barris handled the daytime show and Chris Beard was the person who ran the nighttime show. But he didn't last all that long, uh, specifically on the nighttime version, because he had a different way of doing things than Chuck Barris did. His show was a little 
more like an actual talent show. And if you watch an episode with Gary Owens hosting, it definitely has a different feel than Chuck Barris episode. And apparently Chucky said, you're doing something way totally different than me. And it's just not really what I want. So Chuck Barris and Chris Beard went their separate ways. So it's not surprising that this came from that guy. And you got to be kind of weird to do something as goofy as the cheap show. I don't want to call it like the antithesis of a game show, but it's not your normal game. Let's say that. And actually, we've talked about Chris Beard previously, Greg. Oh? Greg, you're going to love this. He was a writer on the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle show. Oh, f- that. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. But also, if you want a better credit, Craig, he was a writer on Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In. So maybe there's a little bit of redemption there. But I just love getting in any sort of Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle reference if I can, because I know you love it so much. That episode, to date, was the most depressed I ever was on an episode. And that was my Money in the Bank pick from a couple of years ago. And remember, if you weren't listening a couple of years ago, or even up to the last year, I sort of had that halo sort of hovering over my head of Mike picks horrible shows for the uh, Money in the Bank episodes. And so I had to redeem myself last year with Madam's Place, and I think I redeemed myself to a point. And also in about a month, I'm going to redeem myself again because I'm going to be doing The Mental Misadventures of Ed Grimley. And I know Chico's really psyched for that. Oh, I'm excited too. I'm just excited to talk about Martin Short. Oh, that's going to be great. And speaking of Chico, he's not here this week. It's going to be me and Greg for this episode and the next episode. He'll be back next week. Again, life sort of gets in the way, kind of, sort of. So the cheap show itself, we said it was created by Chris Beard. The host of it, and this is a person we've talked about plenty, Dick Martin. Of course, he just mentioned Rowan and Martin's laughing. Well, he's the Martin part of that. But also we talked about Dick Martin previously on Mind Readers, announced by Johnny Olson. That's right, Mike. I did that pile of crap. But you got paid. That's right, I did. So it wasn't that bad. The announcer on The Cheap Show was Charlie O'Donnell. We know him from primarily Wheel of Fortune, but gosh, he did so much announcing over the years. We could be here forever and a day talking about what he announced. And there was, like any probably halfway decent game show had back in the 70s, a sidekick. Wanda. But Wanda wasn't her name. Her real name, I should say. Her name was Janelle Price. And if you go on IMDb, this is the only credit Janelle Price has. So this was the peak of her career, and it was also the end of her career. Going out on a high note. Somewhat. The Cheap Show itself was a bit of a different game show. 
you had three rounds, and in each round, there was one question. So there were two celebrities on a panel. There are actually three. This is where sort of the cheapness of the cheap show comes into play. So there is an existing episode, which is on YouTube, and the celebrities on the episode are Rita Moreno and David Doyle. But the third celebrity who couldn't show up, I wonder why, was Henry Ford. <laughs> well, given that Henry Ford probably had been dead for a good 30 years at that point, wonder why he didn't show up. And yeah, actually, uh, just a quick little check on uh, Google. He died in 1947, so 31 years earlier. And that was one of the running gags with that show was you had two normal celebrities and then a third one who couldn't show up, primarily because they're dead. So there were three rounds. Each round had one question. In each round, a question was asked to the panel. One of the celebrities gave a correct answer while the other gave a bluff. And basically all they had to do was identify which one had the real answer, which one had the bluff. But there's a little bit of a twist to it. You didn't have two contestants playing each other. You had two teams, albeit one was sort of like the contestant and the other was, for lack of a better phrase, the victim of any sort of punishment. The female was actually the contestant, and the male was trapped inside what was called the punishment pit. So the first contestant guessed uh, which celebrity was telling the truth. If she was correct, the couple scored a point and a really cheap prize. But the other team, their loved one, the, the male, was punished with a pie in his face or slime or basically what you'd see on like Double Dare about eight years later, just some sort of mess. If she was incorrect in her guess, her husband or male partner got the punishment and the opposing couple got the point and the prize. And again, it's like an insignificant prize. In the second round, the roles are reversed. The other couple gets to guess, but it's basically the same type of gameplay Get the answer right, you get a little dinky prize, and the male on the opposition gets yucked on, however it may be, slime, feathers, whatever. So pretty much the same thing, not much variety here. And those two rounds were worth one point apiece, but there was a third round that was played, and this was the deciding round. And I know what you're thinking, Greg, this third round was played for two points. So if the team that was behind, if they were shut out in the first two rounds, they win the third round, it's tied up, would go to a tiebreaker, right? Yeah. Not the case. The third round was worth 20 points. Oh, my It's all or nothing. So round one is one point. Round two is one point. Round three is... 20 huge points. Round three, it's like, break the first two rounds. This is where it's all about, baby. It's anybody's game. Just like, in the words of Pete on that SNL Thanksgiving sketch where he ate that cake. 
Greg, no, don't bring that up. Well, he did. So that third round played like the other rounds, it, you know, really high stakes situation for all the marbles, all the Tostitos. This is for all the Tostitos. And believe it or not, whoever had the most points goes to the bonus round. So are you going to the bonus round with 20 points or 21 or 22? Who knows and who cares? You're going to the bonus round. And it's called the semi-colossal prize sweepstakes finale. Boy, this is like a big label on a goofy game. Semi-colossal prize sweepstakes finale. There was a wheel. And this wheel had 12 wedges on it. And each one corresponded to a numbered envelope that was on a, a wall. And each space had a hole. And to determine which prize was won, a large white rat known as Oscar the Wonder Rodent would be placed on the wheel while it was being spun, and whatever hole Oscar the Wonder Rodent crawled into determined what prize would be won. However, if Oscar the Wonder Rodent landed in the hole that contestants predicted Oscar would land, they'd win a car. So maybe not a cheap show after all. And believe it or not, not that I want to spoil it, but on that episode that's on YouTube, they win the car because Oscar ran into hole number 10, and that's what they said he'd run into. So it's not really a cheap show, at least in the episode that exists. And in this bonus round, the prizes were not some sort of throwaway gag. They were legit prizes. So you're getting something for your effort. And really, I don't want to make this a short show, but that's essentially the show. It was kind of redundant, kind of stupid. It didn't last more than a year. Like I said, 24 episodes. And there's not much to see on YouTube. But I, I do want to talk about some of the celebrities that were on the show before we wrap up the proceedings. Because there's a little list on IMDb. We talked about Rita Moreno. We talked about David Doyle. Bob Newhart was on this show. Wow. I would have never believed Bob Newhart would have maybe not necessarily sunk into this level, but... I mean, he was still a big name in 1978. Uh, Jill St. John was on an episode. Ava Gabor, who was on pretty much everything in the 70s, it seems. Robert Guillaume. So you're talking about second year of soap at that point, right before he spun off to Benson. Anthony Lulee was on an episode. Here's a name that I don't know if we've ever talked about him. I don't think so. Truman Capote was on an episode. I would love to see that. Truman Capote on the cheap show. That might be some of the best unintentional humor ever, having Truman Capote on the cheap show. Jim Stafford was on an episode. Charlie Callis is on an episode. But yeah, there's just not much information out there about this show. There's not much audio or video about this show. So we have little bits and pieces to build upon. Obviously, the ratings weren't that great. And taking a look at the listings, 
it looked like this show was sort of buried in a lot of places in late night. And also it was once a week, it was 24 episodes. We said that. So probably buried somewhere on Saturday, Sunday nights. And uh, even the clearances might've been an issue. While looking through Cleveland listings, I didn't see anything about it airing in Cleveland. It's mentioned in some newspaper articles, but there's no talk about it airing on any Cleveland stations. I don't know where it ended up. Obviously, in Cleveland, it didn't end up much of anywhere if I can't find a single listing for it. So regarding the cheap show, it's not a long episode. There's not a lot of information out there, but it was apparently so bad that in 1979, people said, no, we're cool. We don't need to see another season of this. And uh, unfortunately for that reason, the cheap show, it just became a thing on TV. I think we need a bit of a palate cleanser, don't you, Greg? Yeah. How about we do some Match Game Hollywood Squares? Oh, good. It's time for This weekend Match Game. Hollywood Square, our history. We are now into late January slash early February of 1984. We are actually in the second 13 weeks now. Match Game Hollywood Square survived the first 13 weeks. Yay, we're going to get 13 more weeks. And to start off with the second 13 weeks, we have Fern Fitzgerald, Tom Poston, no coma, sorry, Constance McCashin, Marty Cohen, Alan Thicke. Yeah, that's right, Mike. I was on this week. And you're there with your wife at the time, Gloria Loring. Oh, that's right. And also Steven Schnitzer and Nipsey Russell. One thing that started this week maybe coincidentally with the start of the second batch of 13 weeks of shows is there were plugs for the telephone match game where people at home could win $5,000 and have a walk on on an NBC soap opera. Hey, Alan, if you're still there, what NBC soap opera would you want to do a walk on on? Oh my God. Well, I would want to be on uh, days of our lives. Why do you say that? We're like sands in the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. You didn't just do a McDonald carry, did you? That's right, I did. How'd I was... you like that? Oh, I liked it. I-, I thought you'd be more of an another world person, but clearly I'm mistaken there. Oh, no. As much as I appreciate Linda Dano, no, I'm days of our lives all the way. I knew you had a thing for Linda Dano. I knew it. What would Gloria Loring say about that? Well, probably a lot, but I divorced her later on, so it's over. Good. Alan Thicke and Linda Dano together, and obviously Gloria Loring ran the video camera. Oh, never mind. So this week, and this is a contestant I think we've referred to in the past. His name is Ron Barnes. He actually retired this week, but he retired only with $7,475. I believe he won $5,000 his first day there and then bombed the rest of the week at the Supermatch, the other four attempts that he went. I should say the head-to-head match. 
And then in the subsequent four head-to-head matches, he bombed. So that's why you know he won five thousand on the first day, but then twenty-four hundred seventy-five dollars in the remaining four episodes didn't do so hot. We did have a twenty thousand dollar win with Gorio Loring on Wednesday, but again, talking about Ron Barnes, he missed on Monday, he missed on Tuesday. There was no win on Thursday, and there was no win on Friday, even though that Friday episode did not air on Buzz. The next week, oh, next week, we got some names. I hope Chico comes back because I know there's one name he may want to talk about. And even if Chico doesn't return, I know there's names that Greg and I want to talk about. It'll be a good week, week 15. We'll talk about that next Monday. Back to me to wrap up the show. A few moments later. This is CNN Breaking News. Vince McMahon has resigned from his position as the executive chairman of the board of TKO Group Holdings, Inc., the company formed by Endeavor that merged WWE and the UFC. I wanted to inform you that Vince McMahon has tendered his resignation from his position as TKO executive chairman and on the TKO board of directors, WWE president and TKO board member Nick Khan said, email to staff seen by Variety. He will no longer have a role with TKO, TKO Group Holdings or WWE. Damn shame. To quote Jerry, that's a shame. That really is a shame. Saturday, Audrey's the bait. To you, Audrey. And Cooper's the target. Audrey, for $125,000. I've got a dangerous situation. Who do you trust at Twin Peaks Saturday? Man, oh man. One of the biggest blockbusters of the season is not an action-adventure movie or a sci-fi thriller. In fact, it's not even playing at your local movie theater. It's at your local Subaru dealer. It's the Subaru Blockbuster. Talk about a powerful performance. You can get the Subaru Legacy L sedan with air conditioning, cruise control, and AM-FM stereo cassette at spectacular savings. The Subaru Blockbuster. This one is a must-see. Now playing at a Subaru dealer near you. Marjorie Turner has a little problem. She get rid of Harry and have an affair. She's married to it. Then one afternoon, Marjorie's little problem disappeared. And left her with one big problem. I killed him! What's the cause of death? Sex. Sex? Exactly. It was not sex. Kirstie Alley. It was good. Sibling Rivalry. Rated PG-13. Starts Friday, October 26th at select theaters. Remember when the game of Trivial Pursuit was just for Rhodes Scholars? Not anymore. Now there's the Trivial Pursuit 60s edition. That idiot, oh, Byron. For three days in 69, what was New York's third largest city called? Woodstock, man. Byron. Right on. I do not want to see him on my... Hey, guys, what was the 60s tribal love rock musical? Here. <laughs> the Trivial Pursuit 60s edition. Questions anybody can answer. What TV comedian first ran for president in 68? Richard Nixon. <laughs> <laughs> the new Trivial Pursuit 60s edition from Parker Brothers. Oh, Peter, be careful. What's wrong? Oh, honey, you didn't tell me your back was hurting. 
Wait, I have something for you. Ah, here. It's Motrin IB. Same medicine as in prescription Motrin, except it's the non-prescription strength. One works as well as two regular aspirin. <laughs> Says who? Says my doctor. Just take it. You'll feel better. And don't worry about the box you dropped. That's your stuff. Motrin IB. Recommended by thousands of doctors. And your wife. Fatal Vision. Murder so brutal it became a miniseries. Now there could be reason to believe this Green Beret doctor is innocent after all. Plus, after a lifetime together, what makes a couple call it quits? Divorce after 60. Watch 2020, Friday. <laughs> Episode 450, submission number 126, Cop Rock. Cop Rock aired on the ABC television network from September 26th until December 26th of 1990 for a total of 11 episodes. That's five less than not Cop Rock, but Uncle Croc's Block, 16 episodes. Now, going by my list, this is the seventh episode that originates in September of 1990. Others, The Joker's Wild 90, Tic-Tac-Doe 90, The Flash 1990, Camp Cucamonga, Get a Life, and Going Places. The show that you and Chica liked that I just didn't understand. Look, Joe and Michael... Mike has a lot in common with you guys, so I'm just saying, but I enjoy going places. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be that one schmuck. But we can all agree that Get a Life was just absolutely epic. And speaking of epic, Greg, let's do it. Yeah, we're going to do this live, folks. Here it is. The opening sequence to Cop Rock, sung by the legendary Randy Newman. Days of sunshine, tears and rain, precious memories of years go by. Eyes of darkness, fear and pain, all the time that we had. Now, Mike, 
wasn't that the most epic opening theme song you've ever heard? From the person that gave us left foot, right foot on that episode of Family Guy. Well, not really. Play along with me here. But the, you, I don't know if you saw me or uh, and I saw you listen to the music and, you know, bobbing our head and whatnot. That was very catchy. I wonder if that in some way is a bit of a prelude to the eventual lack of success of this show. Just because Randy Newman doesn't come cheap. And obviously, Stephen Bochco doesn't come cheap. There may be a a bit of a story here just in terms of, hey, let's get all these big names together. It's going to be a big show and fizzles out in 11 episodes in three months. But that was, quoting Chico, who's not here with us, that was a banger. That was a really good song. But also at the same time, I'll admit it. I love Randy Newman. I love L.A. Is there a more classic song than I love L.A.? No. And Short People. Let's also include Short People. That's a great song, too. So, yeah, you'll never hear me say a bad word about Randy Newman. That was just amazing. So, yeah, we're talking about maybe one of the biggest flops of all time, Pop Rock. Greg, I know you weren't of the age yet to probably understand uh, a lot of the promotion and publicity that some of these shows got and some of these events got in 1990. We talked about it last week when we talked about Lombada, and you were sort of like, well, what's Lombada? And me and Chico are like, it's the forbidden dance. It's the dance of love. It was like the biggest sensation this movie was being pitched and it's supposed to be like just world changing. And it like was a totally crappy movie that bombed at the box office. Look, I know about the Lombada dance. I didn't know that we had a movie about the Lombada. I oh, was- I didn't know you knew about the dance. I-, I thought you didn't know about the whole thing. But yeah, there was a movie made. And like we said last week, it was bad. It lost money in the box office. It, it was a-, a big, huge bust. And that's pretty much why we never heard from the Lombada after 1990. But at least Melora Horton came out of that unscathed. A few people did. Caprock, similarly, it didn't leave 1990. But yeah, I could tell you, 1990, this was going to be the big new thing. It's a little bit experimental, but you got Stephen Bochco behind it, and Gosh, we could be here probably forever and a day talking about what Stephen Bosco has done. There's this new sort of hybrid type of TV show, which is sort of like musical, but also a police procedural. And actually, one term that I saw doing research earlier today is I saw the term opera. So that's your portmanteau of cop and opera. Not that there's opera in this show but that was just the made-up word that some writer created so what this show is about it was about the los angeles police department and just like any other police procedural you just had a cast of officers and detectives solving crime but at the same time 
there were musical interludes and choreography throughout the storylines, which also introduced new characters. That's different. In its main storyline, you had Captain John Hollander investigating the involvement of Detective Vincent LaRusso in the execution of murder suspect Tyrone Weeks. There were some subplots in this episode, including one detective's growing jealousy of his wife and her friendship with another male officer. Ooh. And uh, another officer was helping a drug addict recover her baby, which she had sold for $200, and a relationship between a corrupt mayor and the police chief. So you have many different sort of facets going on here. It isn't just one main plot. There is a B plot, a C plot, a D plot, and it looks like an E plot in this general series. It seems like you need a roadmap to understand what's going on. That might have contributed to the problems with this. It isn't just straightforward one plot or even two plots. It seems like you have, like I said earlier, you have an A, a B, a C, a D, an E, and maybe even an F and a G. So I mentioned some of the characters in that synopsis of the different plots. Let's talk about who played each of the characters. First, we're going to start with Officer Vicki Quinn, who was played by Ann Bobby. So who is Ann Bobby? Well, yeah, she was Vicki Quinn on Cop Rock, but that is kind of the extent of her career, at least in terms of a regular series. She's done bit parts on shows like Law & Order, Tales from the Crypt. She was the narrator in Harriet the Spy. I'm surprised by that one. Uh, she was on four episodes of Mad About You. So she's had a career, but in terms of a single show where she really prospered, this is about it. Playing the mayor, Louise Plank, is Barbara Bosson. Barbara Bosson, if that name sounds familiar, she played Faye Ferrello on Hill Street Blues, 103 episodes in five seasons. And I believe she was married to Stephen Boschko at the time. Well, now we know how she got her job. She's not a Nepo baby, she's a Nepo wife. Is that a real term, a Nepo wife? I think I just made it up, but yeah, you know how there's Nepo babies. So it makes sense that maybe there's a nepotism wife, a Nepo wife. I don't know. But yeah, she was married to Stephen Boschko at the time. She was actually married to him from 1970 to 1998. And this is the second time we talked about her on the podcast because she was at the 1984 Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade plugging Hill Street Blues. That's why the name sounds familiar. I knew... We talked about her at some time in the past. I remember that. But also she played Captain C.Z. Stern on future installment Hooperman. And also she was on 41 episodes of Murder One. Wasn't Murder One also a Stephen Bochco show? Yep. Now it all makes sense. She's a Nepo wife. Maybe I shouldn't say that, but she's a Nepo wife. And unfortunately, we lost her just about a year ago, February 18th of 2023, at the age of 83. Playing Officer Andy Campo in this series is David Giannopoulos. 
He doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. I think that's all we need to say. Looking at his IMDb page, what he's known for, one of it is Cop Rock, but also Air Force One, he played an agent. Under Siege 2, Dark Territory, he played a captain. And Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh. Ooh, he was a detective. Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh. I didn't even know there was like a sequel called Farewell to the Flesh. I know about oh. Candyman proper, but Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh. Okay. But I think Greg summed it up nicely. If there's no Wikipedia page for him, uh, I don't want to say he's irrelevant, but maybe he's a little bit irrelevant. Playing Captain John Hollander in the series is Larry Joshua. And again, he's another person not really well known for any single thing. Uh, he was in the Spider-Man movie in 2002 as a wrestling promoter. Oh, he's the wrestling promoter that stiffs Toby's Spider-Man of the payoff after he wrestles Macho Man Randy Savage. I know that's one of your favorite series, so I knew that would sort of hit home with you. Uh, he also played Sergeant Bauer in Dances with Wolves. But other than that, again, a lot of appearances doing one episode here, one episode there. So essentially, he is that sort of stereotypical, that guy from that thing. In the series playing Officer Franklin Rose is James McDaniel. You'd know James McDaniel from NYPD Blue. He played Lieutenant Fancy or Captain Fancy on 167 episodes. And of course, what's the commonality between NYPD Blue and Cop Rock? Steven Bochco. So maybe he's a Nepo co-worker. No, he can't really be a Nepo co-worker, but yeah, he's closely associated with Steven Bochco shows, or at least these two. And in Malcolm X, the movie from 1992, he played Brother Earl. But he's had a very long and fruitful career. Playing Detective Lieutenant Ralph Ruskin in this series is Ron McLarty. Again, he's another IMDb profile that lists what he's best known for is Cop Rock. But he and was in Spencer for Hire, Mike. Spencer? Spencer. There you go. I was waiting for that. Wait a second. Hold on. I, I got to pump the brakes for a second. Because look at his IMDb. He played Fred Black in a movie called Black Unauthorized. But also Ron McLarty, he voiced the general on 39 episodes of Courage the Cowardly Dog. Now, hold on. Okay. When you said he voiced the general. No, not that general. No, and I have stuff to say because the general's voice has changed recently, so I'm wondering if something happened. Maybe, oh. he, Well, maybe he hit puberty or something because his voice is much lower. Maybe he got into a scandal like Vince. I don't know. Oh, jeez. Timely reference. Good heavens. Also, something that I think me and probably you and Chico can relate to as well, in different Berenstain Bear productions, he voiced Papa Bear. Oh. Now, hold on. Uh-huh. 
You're from the Berenstain universe, correct? Berenstain. I'm from the Berenstain Bears universe. You know that theory, right? I think I know what you're talking about. How some people remember it as Berenstain Bears and some remember it as Berenstain Bears. Right. I always heard it as Berenstain Bears. I've heard it as Berenstain Bears. Regardless, he played Papa Bear in a number of those movies and specials and whatnot. But it's Berenstain, just saying. It's spelled B-E-R-E-N-S-T-A-I-N. The last five letters spell stain, not steam. Stain. Thank you for attending my TED Talk. Right. Thank you, Gene. Playing Detective Joseph Gaines is Mick Murray. He's another person where his known for on IMDb contains cop rock, which tells me he didn't have much of a career. And he has no Wikipedia profile. That's the other sign that you didn't have much of a career, sadly. He's done some guest uh, appearances on episodes of TV shows, Malcolm and Eddie, Beverly Hills, 90210, the OG version. Rugrats, he was a quartet singer on a 2002 episode. There's that. And he was uh, Avenger Crook in the movie Radio Days. If you remember that, done by uh, Woody Allen back in the day. Did you say Avenger Crook? Avenger Crook. Oh, Avenger Crook. I thought you said Avenger Crook. I was thinking, wait, did John Crook join the Avengers? No, John Crook hosted It's Always Showtime with the Apollo. So yeah, Radio Days. Like I said, that was a thing that Woody Allen did back around 87. Supposedly pretty decent. Playing Detective Vincent LaRusso in this series is Peter Honorati. And Peter Anorati, is he another one that has known for cop rock in his IMDb profile? Absolutely, positively, yes. Does he at least have a Wikipedia page? Yes. Okay, so he's good enough for a Wikipedia page, but he's also good enough where one of his known fors in IMDb is cop rock. He did, however, play Jeffrey Jack Mumford, in 28 episodes of SWAT and 12 episodes of This Is Us, Stanley Pearson. Now, I guarantee you this next guy is best known for is not going to have Top Rock in it. Playing Chief Roger Kendrick is Ronnie Cox. And Greg declared that his known for will not include Cop Rock. It's actually got two other cop related things he played dick jones in robocop and he was lieutenant bogomil in beverly hills cop and beverly hills cop too okay so no cop rock but two other cop movies or cop titles now hold on a second mike the other thing i'd best know ronnie cox for is this line from henry winkler in barry she could be out there right now. Is this you and Corbin Burnson? No, that's Ronnie Cox. Ronnie Cox. Was that a bit of a name drop there? Yeah. Not a bad name drop. 
Uh, he also played Dr. John Gideon uh, on 22 episodes of St. Elsewhere. Looks like the final season, 87-88. We have one more name we're going to cover, and there's other people who were not in every episode. Given this is an ensemble cast, there's a lot of people. We could be here all day going over the number of people who were in at least, let's say, five episodes. We'll just put a sort of a hard limit here. Playing Commander Warren Osborne was Von D. Curtis Hall. He did a little bit of everything. He was in one of my favorite movies of the early 90s, Falling Down. I like that. Falling Down was a good movie. And he's still active nowadays. He was on eight episodes of The Recruit in 2022 and eight episodes of Justified City Primeval. So he's still busy. He also played Dr. Dennis Hancock on 104 episodes of Chicago Hope. That's a pretty good title to have on your resume, Chicago Hope. I'm going to hand the reins off to Chico in the past, like we've done a couple of times. He's going to go through all 11 episodes, and I'll jump in with any guest stars of note that appear on each episode. So Chico, take it away. Episode 1, The Pilot. An arrested gang in control of Los Angeles is acquitted of all charges of drug distribution due to a lack of evidence. One of the gang's vehicles is pursued by the police. Drug dealer Tyrone Weeks flees the scene after shooting and killing a police officer, and the driver is arrested. After Weeks is captured in his home, an enraged detective Vincent LaRusso executes him. Fellow police officers tamper with the crime scene to make it appear LaRusso acted in self-defense. Meanwhile, Officer Vicky Quinn is unable to convince drug addict Patricia Spence to enter rehab. Spence later sells her baby daughter for $200. Songs in this episode include We Got the Power, Sandman, She Chose Me, She's the One, and He's Guilty. In this pilot episode, episode one, we do have a big name playing Commander Warren Osborne. And we've talked about this guy numerous times, Ernie Hudson. That's right, Ghostbusters and magic in the new quantum leap. All right, guys, for each episode, we are going to play one song from each episode to give you an idea of how amazing pop rock is. So... The first song we picked, we saw this in the promo from the previous episode, and we just had to include this for episode one for the song we picked. It's called, He's Guilty. Has the jury reached a verdict? We have, Your Honor. Hit it. Judge, he's guilty. You could see it in his eyes. He did the crime and now he's got to pay. He's guilty, judge, he's guilty. We have seen through all his lies. The time has come to put this boy away. Well, mm -hmm. 
abused as a child. Son, every is near. I was confused in every way. But you got some hard times coming. He didn't know right from wrong. To you, my dear, I want to make it clear. I want to thank the jury. Maybe it's just me, but I would love if I'm watching an episode of Court Cam where they show all the court cases and some of the hijinks that happen there, and suddenly the judge and the jury start breaking out. It's a he's guilty. I, I think that would be hilarious. Now hold on a second. I wonder if in the Georgia criminal case of Mr. Black, if they give the verdict. That happened. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. I'm having a moment there. I think it would be even better if, like, given the news of today, the defamation trial, if the same thing happened, he's guilty. He's paying $83 million. He's guilty. But getting back to the song, uh, a couple of things. Number one, the jurors were dressed up in, like, gospel costumes, robes, if you will. Totally unexpected, but also, again, in retrospect, 33, 34 years later, absolutely hilarious. And also, based on the start of the song, the first maybe 15, 20 seconds, I noticed this, and I'm sure you did too, or you could probably pick up on it. That sounded like a Randy Newman song. Even though he didn't sing it, but it sounds like he wrote it. And actually, believe it or not, for that pilot episode, Randy Newman won the 1991 Emmy Award for Outstanding Achievement in Music and Lyrics. Apparently writing a song about being guilty is worthy of getting an Emmy. But no, again, it's Randy Newman. He's just absolutely amazing. Okay, episode two. Episode two, Ill-Gotten Gains. At the funeral of the police officer who was shot and killed, his cop partner Franklin Rose gives a eulogy. Unconvinced about the proposed events leading to Weeks' death, Captain John Hollander begins to interrogate LaRusso's colleagues. After Hollander meets with Quinn, she begins to question what she knows about her husband, Ruskin. Rose is given a new partner, Detective Joseph Gaines, and a burglary in a mansion is investigated. Where LaRusso questions the housekeeper and finds the thief was her boyfriend. At home with his wife and son, Hollander talks about their family's financial state. Songs in this episode include How Much I Love You, If That Isn't Love, Good Life, Line Up, and 
gonna be all right. There's really no names of note in episode two, so I'm gonna pass it to Greg in the Cop Rock Jukebox and play a song from this episode. Okay. Well, here's the touching eulogy, how much I love you, <laughs> which I have not heard this song. Mike has it, so who knows? Maybe we'll be sad. Maybe we'll laugh. Let's see. You are not gone. You've just gone away. Such a mysterious way I have but one regret I haven't told you yet How much I love you How much I love you Now, Mike, if I ever have a funeral, I wish my funeral would be as great as that. Now, you see, I had sort of the opposite feeling. Uh, I've never really been to a funeral that had a saxophone player come out and, and, and jam like that. 
But maybe it's just me, and I know it's supposed to be a eulogy. It's supposed to be a very serious topic, a serious moment. But when they were panning around to the different people in the ceremony and at the funeral, there looked like a number of people that looked like they were ready to like crack up laughing. They were trying to hold back laughter. And that's why if you saw me, Greg, while that was playing... I'm breaking up laughing because you see this like kid, this like 10 year old boy or eight year old boy. And he's sitting there. He's looking all serious, but you kind of sort of see his little smile come out. Like this is sort of hilarious. I get it's a serious moment, but that was a little over the top, a little corny. Oh my, I can't even imagine what we're going to have for episode three. Chico. Episode 3, Happy Mutter's Day. As the investigation grows, Hollander questions Detective William Donald Potts, promising qualified immunity if he reveals what happens to Weeks. Potts agrees to talk. Rose and Gaines respond to a domestic violence call, where the latter shows he does not know how to de-escalate the situation without Rose's help. They leave after the couple promises to stop fighting. At night, LaRusso's girlfriend Nikki, a mud wrestler at a nightclub, is held at gunpoint by a drug dealer who gives up after LaRusso shows no intention of negotiating to save Nikki. Plank gets plastic surgery to improve her chances in the upcoming election as a U.S. senator, and as the day concludes, Hollander tells LaRusso he's under arrest. Songs include Nobody's Fault, I Hate Love, Perfection, Garbage in, garbage out, and hear the doggy. In episode three, we actually have a number of names. One sort of big name, the other not really, but relatives of a somewhat decent name. Playing Elliot Weinstein in this episode is Mitchell Lawrence. You may remember him as Pete Kimmelman on Not Necessarily the News which would have ended in 1990. So this is maybe some sort of odd segue or something like that. I don't know. The other name playing Big Johnny Stain. I'm not kidding. That's his character name. Big Johnny Stain is Brad Grunberg, who is the brother of Greg Grunberg from a few Star Wars movies. Andy Elias. You know who he is. And he's a very frequent guest on... 25 words or less, as Chico has said numerous times in the past, one of our favorite shows around uh, this area. But I need to add about Brad Grunberg. He is not credited as Brad Grunberg in this episode. He's credited as Johnny Cocktails. Oh, Johnny Cocktails. I think that goes up there with Beans Morocco. Johnny Cocktails and Beans Morocco. Well, hold on, Mike. I got a name that might top Johnny Cocktails when we get to episode six. Oh, good. Can't wait for that. In the meantime, what do you have loaded up? Okay. Well, Mike, I have a touching song as Ronnie Cox's character of Chief Roger Kendrick remembers his early days where he rides a horse through L.A. in a dream sequence. Here's Hear the Doggy.
cloudless sky This cowboy sits alone Wondering if a man like me Should bother in home I'd miss my wife But that cowboy life Is calling me my friend I hate to hear the doggies sing again The cold of the west, it worked the best When justice was a simple chore The only law was a lightning draw Of the six guns at a war City lights don't shine for me they never have my friend I ache to hear the doggies sing again they sing yippee tie yippee yippee tie whoa whoa no yippee tie yippee Smiling Tom and Whiskey Jack, brothers lost, I'd like them back. Memories deep of how it used to be. Well, here's to the best. And I'll drink to the rest I would not lie to you, my friend I to hear the doggies sing again Well, here's to the best And I'll drink to the rest I would not lie to you, my friend I to hear the doggies sing again. You just start. I, I there's too much. Just get your questions out of the way. Ronnie Cog's riding a boss on the city sidewalk, and then we see like a bunch of people like. And then a tumbleweed shows up near the end of the song. That was the best. Right near the end of the song, this tumbleweed just rolled on by. Just the most stereotypical Wild West moment ever. The tumbleweed rolling through town. But my take, Greg, that semi, how the hell did that semi not hit the horse? There was a semi that crossed by, and I'm like, how did that not hit the horse? And what's a guy riding a horse doing in traffic where a semi is driving past him? Again, too many questions. Do you imagine the guy riding the semi being like, what the hell is this guy doing riding this horse? I wonder if the guy driving the semi is wondering, where the hell did this tumbleweed come from? I mean, it was in a big city. You show me where there's tumbleweed anywhere near Los Angeles. Yeah, go out to the desert 
like an hour, hour and a half away. I get that. But tumbleweed in downtown Los Angeles. Okay. Whatever you say, Stephen Bochco. I will say this, though. We are getting a good mix of musical genres. We sort of had that gospel in the first song we heard, and then maybe the second song was more spiritual than anything else, but now we have a country-western song. So we're really mixing it up with the genres here. And that's going to take us to episode four, Chico. Episode four, a three-corpse meal. After being in custody for a few days, one of LaRusso's lawyers bails him out. Contemplating suicide after selling her baby, Spence asks Quinn for help at the police station, where Hollander orders for Spence to be arrested. To recover the baby, Quinn and Officer Andy Campo go undercover to meet Glenn, a child trafficker who is later arrested alongside his also corrupt lawyer. In an interrogation, the pair asks for immunity after agreeing to tell the police the identities of several leaders controlling a child trafficking syndicate. They also tell Quinn the location of Spence's daughter, who is safely recovered and taken into foster care. Meanwhile, LaRusso begins a sexual relationship with the female lawyer who got him out of prison. Plank reveals himself post-surgery and begins a relationship with Kendrick, and Ruskin starts exercising to avoid having a heart attack. Songs in this episode include Can't Keep a Good Man Down, You Lied, Baby Merchants, Something Happened to Me, and No Pain, No Gain. In this episode, we actually have a pretty big name playing Philip Beamer is Gordon Clapp. Detective Greg Medavoy on 256. I didn't know they did 256 episodes of NYPD Blue, but apparently they did. I didn't know it ran for, looks like 12 seasons. Good heavens. I thought it only ran maybe about eight or nine. But yeah, big name in terms of a future series. And also, again, what's the connection? NYPD Blue and Stephen Bochco. All right, with that, we're going to go to Greg. And what's up for this episode? Okay, well, the Wikipedia listing of this song is called No Pain, No Gain. But in the every song from Cop Rock Supercut, yes, folks, there's a YouTube supercut of every song from Cop Rock. All two hours, 31 minutes of them. And it's called Gotta Work Out on the YouTube page. Let's hear it. Hey, Bobby, you know, I'm rethinking this whole exercise. Keep it up, Ralph. No pain, no gain. No pain, no gain. They tell me I'm in trouble if I don't change my ways. I could drop dead on the floor But what's the good of living To the end of your days If your days are no fun anymore Look at all those fools Just staring in the mirror I swear they got more brawn than brains here I am turning into nothing but a ball of pain Now everybody's telling me to lose some weight 
that's not the way I'm designed It may be their idea of living But brother, you know it's not mine Mr. Heart Attack. I'm spending all my time sitting at a desk. I never was a cop on the beat. Hell, it's been 15 years or more since I could see my feet. Now, all of a sudden, I gotta get in shape. Or else they're gonna. It may be their idea of living, but brother, you know it's not mine. Goodbye to the donuts, the steak and the potatoes. Goodbye to the blueberry pie. The thought of cottage cheese is enough to make a grown man cry. I'm riding all these miles and going nowhere. It's such a stupid waste of my time. It may be their idea of living. But brother, you know it's not mine. It may be their idea of living, but brother, you know it's not mine. I need a beer. That was, eh, how should I phrase this kindly? Kind of homoerotic, if you will. Yes, it was. For 1990, it was very homoerotic. It was sort of like a little bit of a preview as to what we got with American Gladiators. There wasn't as much like spandex, but good heavens did they show off the skin. They showed the rippling pecs and the biceps, the muscles on all the guys. And there was one woman. You heard the one woman there. That was was bizarre. I'm going to say that. It was a very interesting little tune. It's definitely not motivating me to go exercising, though he had the right idea at the end, you know, having steak and potatoes and whatnot. That sounds actually pretty good right about now. Honestly, I think that was the best song we've heard thus far. I really thought that was kind of clever. And actually, really, the sound of the song, maybe it's just me, I sort of got like, I'm only a Bill vibe. That, that, That pacing. I'm only a bill sitting on Capitol Hill. You know what I'm talking about. It, it gave me that sort of vibe. All right, let's get to episode five. Episode five, the cocaine mutiny. Several people are arrested for buying drugs from an undercover cop. One of them, a woman serving as an assistant for a city councilman, is left off with a warning. After being arrested again, 
Detective Bob McIntyre helps a woman, Stacey Kane, fend off a stalker before beginning a relationship with her. The next day, the stalker is shot by Kane in McIntyre's presence, who quickly figures out her ruse to murder the stalker without being arrested. Meanwhile, Spence is put on probation with supervised visits with her baby daughter. Songs include Pursuit of Happiness, A Step Away, Beautiful Eyes, More Than Enough, and Campaign Song. We got some names in this episode. We got some pretty big names, to say the least. Playing Thomas J. Wagner in this episode is the recently departed Bill Hayes. You'd know him from Days of Our Lives. He was on Days of Our Lives seemingly forever. But also, big name, bigger than Bill Hayes. Playing Stacy Kane in this episode, Gina Gershon. And Greg, I'm going to talk about it because anytime we talk about Elizabeth Berkeley or Gina Gershon, you know where it goes. Oh, yeah. She was in Showgirls, the 1995 classic. Oh, and by the way, did I ever tell you guys that I sat next to Joe Esterhaus, the writer of Showgirls, when I did uh, Hardball back in 2002? You've had to I think, that all the time. No, I think I mentioned it as often as you mentioned that you love Wings, and it made Tony Shalhoub's career. And we've only heard that now, Greg, for 150 episodes. Can you believe it that for, like, what? Was it now like seventy five percent of the run? I never mentioned I love wings before episode three hundred. It's actually two thirds, but you're close enough. But yeah, he never mentioned he loved wings until episode three hundred. Greg loves wings. I sat next to Joe Esterhaus at Hardball. Who knew? Now Gina Gershon has a stalker in this episode. Well, guess what? There's a stalker song in this episode. So that's going to be our jukebox song for episode five. Let's hear it. I can't believe it's so strange somehow. Come so far, don't stop me now. My dream is but a step This love consumes 
Let's just say, then four years, he has all that video footage, Gina. You're going to have more than enough in four years. Trust me, stalker man. Five years, 95. Oh, whatever. Four or five years. And he won't have just Gina Gerson. He'll have Elizabeth Berkeley too. Oh, but my gosh. He had yeah. pictures of Gina Gershon all around the apartment. Yeah, that was... Just a little weird, uh, but also at the same time, I've never known somebody who is a stalker type. So, you know, is that realistic? They've got pictures everywhere of their target. I don't know, but yeah, that was a little goofy. All right, Chica, let's take it to episode six. Episode six, Oil of Olay. Rose and Gaines help clear out a homeless encampment under a bridge. The following day, Gaines decides to help a homeless man named Lewis by buying him food at a diner and giving him money. After Lewis shows symptoms of being mentally ill, Gaines gives up and leaves. Meanwhile, at an insurance company, Quinn and Campo are confronted by a senile man who shoots Quinn in the leg. Ruskin visits her at the hospital, where he learns her injury was merely a flesh wound. Soon after... Campo arrives and begins to sing to Quinn about his love for her, where Ruskin overhears them from outside the room and decides to murder Campo. While Kendrick is encouraged by his assistant Ozzy to begin a serious relationship with Plank, LaRusso is told by his lawyers that his best option to avoid incarceration would be to make the public believe his actions toward Weeks as an American hero were justified. Songs include Nowhere to Go, Nothing to Do, your partner, what am I doing here, how to love a woman, and no problem. Do you have guest stars in episode six? Oh, I absolutely do. I've got a couple. Playing Willa Phelan in this episode, or Willa Phelan, is CCH Pounder from The Shield. Also, Loretta Wade on NCIS New Orleans, 155 episodes. Definitely a known name there. But Mike, let's not forget we talked about her in previous entry. Women in Prison. You're absolutely right about that. We did talk about her on Women in Prison with what Greg believes to be one of the most epic theme songs in history. But not the only name that we have in this episode. Playing Lewis Palmer is David Pamer. He's a well-known character actor, but Mike, he played Dan Enright in the movie Quiz Show. I knew I knew that name somewhere. But not only that, Mike, he was also in City Slickers. But here's the best part, Mike. He played Unger, one of Kurt Fuller's henchmen in No Holds Barred. 
I have no reaction. That's just absolutely gorgeous. I love it. But Mike, also in this episode, is a name that we've encountered in a previous episode. This is a guy who goes by the name of Sean Duke. But he went by back in 1990 as the name. And I'm not making this up. Duke Muskian. I think it's Musekian. You had the emphasis on the wrong syllable, as uh, Mike Myers said in that one movie. Okay. But, Mike, do you know where we encountered him before? I do not. He played the photographer in the Handsome Boy Modeling Agency episode of Get a Light. You're kidding me. I'm not kidding you. And guess what? He's going to make a Hall of Fame candidacy in the future because he played an officer in future entry, Dr. Doctor. Oh, Greg, this just became epic. You said he was the photographer in the Handsome Boy Modeling Agency episode of Get a Life. This is excellent. You know what's even more excellent? You're going to hear him sing now. Oh, no. Valerie Godbaum handles speaking engagement. Let us run with the ball, Vincent. Be truly amazed at what we can do. So you killed another bad guy. We all know the reason why. You did it in self-defense. Glad to use your common sense. We got you covered. We're glad you came on board. You're going to be bigger than Oliver North. No problem. We don't see any problem. Selling you will be a problem.
I really wish Chico was here for this episode. He'd have comments about some of these songs. Oh my gosh. I cannot believe I just heard a song where Mahatma Gandhi and Oliver North and Ronald Reagan were name dropped. Oh, but Mike, I have another name that was in this episode. Okay. Playing the role of Sidney White in this episode is Dennis Lipscomb. You know where we talked about him before? That name rings a bell. Where did we talk about him? He was Harlan Kivo in the famous Teddy Z. Yeah, and the Teddy fam the te the Teddy famous Z. What the? <laughs> yes, that's another new show on our network. It'll be followed by It's Always Showtime at Paula. The Teddy famous Z. Oh my! What I was gonna say is that it was actually one of our better episodes, but. Yeah, now that I totally ruined that, I turned it into the Teddy Famous Z. Sure, that's going to follow its showtime at the Apollo. No, it's always. <laughs> I quit. I, I give up. Dang it. <laughs> oh. oh, Chico, save us. Episode seven. Episode seven, Copophiliac. As the police force prepares for another day of work, multiple officers gossip about the person who gave the witness testimony against LaRusso, unaware that it was Potts, who himself has been receiving threatening messages and burning crosses from an unknown perpetrator associated with the KKK. Meanwhile, Plank's assistant, Ray Rodbart, decides to resign after becoming worried that a journalist will write an article outing him as a homosexual, as he fears it will hurt Planks' chances in the election. However, a supportive Plank refuses to let him quit and later blackmails the journalists to stop them from publishing the article. Quinn returns to work, where Ruskin's jealousy continues to grow. Gaines is asked questions about Weeks' death, where he assures himself that his actions were professional. Beginning to stalk Quinn in Campo, Ruskin sees the pair enter a hotel, unaware that they are investigating a crime and confronts Quinn about his speculations. After his speech receives positive feedback from the public, LaRusso attends a gala. Songs include, Let's Be Careful Out There, What Kind of World Do We Live In, Burning Crosses, I'm Okay, and Brenda and the Bus Monsters. For this episode, we got, really, there's two big names, but a third that has a, Pretty big role in TV history, I think. First and foremost, playing Norm Chauncey is Pat McCormick. The same Pat McCormick who was a regular on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Just a legendary comedian, writer for Johnny Carson, performed with the, the Carson players. If you saw him, you'd know who he is because he's tall and he's very heavy set. Not with us any longer. He hasn't been with us for close to 20 years. But he's not the only big name in this episode. Playing Lieutenant Howard Hunter. Uncredited, mind you. James B. Seeking. And he would have been on Doogie Howser at this time. And of course, who is the mind behind Doogie Howser? Stephen Bochco. It all ties in beautifully. But there's one more name I want to add. Again, not a big name per se, but I think he's got a role in history. Playing a singing cop in this episode, 
not given a true character name, just called Singing Cop on IMDb, is Mark Coppage. He played Corey Baker, Julia's son, on the landmark TV show, Julia. He was Diane Carroll's son on Julia. Kind of a groundbreaking television show if you know your television history. First African-American female lead. Okay, here's the song for episode seven. Brenda and the Bus Monsters. Oh boy, I wonder what kind of song this is going to be. I was approached by these very attractive girls who wanted to show their admiration for you their way. Ladies and gentlemen, Brenda and the Bus Monsters. I got some serious Bengals vibes from that. 
She wasn't Susanna Hoffs, but she was up there. And also, you could tell this is from the early 90s because one of them was playing a guitar. The guitar with the, the keyboard on it, the guitar. Yeah. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. That's what, what I really wanted to, to, to check on. But yeah, that was a thing in the late 80s and early 90s, the guitar. That was definitely a flashback to 35-ish years ago. Speaking of flashbacks, let's flashback to Chico for episode number eight. Episode eight, Pots Don't Fail Me Now. While Quinn becomes annoyed with Ruskin's jealousy, Potts refuses a proposal to receive protection from a community of African-American Muslims and later decides against testifying at LaRusso's upcoming trial. As Rose investigates the shooting of a six-year-old child, a bartender is questioned by a detective with racist implications, who later asks Hollander to remove Rose from the case. Hollander angrily refuses as Rose and Gaines successfully arrest the suspects. Kendrick is asked various questions about LaRusso's trial, where he answers with offensive comments seen as racist, sexist, homophobic, and anti-Semitic. Plank soon confronts him and Kendrick leaves. After Campo and Ruskin brawl in a bar, Quinn agrees to switch partners if she and Ruskin start going to couples counseling. The following day, Potts is told to testify at the trial, despite the possible consequences, to do the right thing. Songs include, Why Can a Man Be More Like a Woman? Why, Lord? Black is Black. Anybody Can Die. And Find My Way Back Home. We have CCH Pounder in this episode, and also we have Dennis Lipscomb in this episode, but we have another name, another big name, and another person who is very closely associated with Stephen Bochco. Playing Victor Sifuentes in this episode, uncredited, mind you, is Jimmy Smits. So we've talked about NYPD Blue. We talked about Doogie Hauser. Now we're going to throw in L.A. Law. Wait, we're going to throw in L.A. Law? No. I really didn't plan on this happening, so just get it out of your system. I really don't want to talk about it. Ah! Oh, oh, oh my god! Not a Pulaski episode. <laughs> now, time out, Mike. Could you imagine the musical number after she fell down the elevator? Well, we had the eulogy earlier with the saxophone player. I don't know if her music would be something sort of like that, like a, a eulogy paying respect to her. Or maybe you could play like Yakety Sax in the background, the Benny Hill music. I think anything like that would be appropriate, cruelly or otherwise. Okay, our song for episode eight is Why Can't a Man Be More Like a Woman? This seems like a real winner here, so let's see what's going to happen here. Excuse me. Men. If I live to be a hundred, I'll never understand them. Oh, honey, what's there to understand? Trouble here in my life today. 
You know what I got listening to that song? A real Prince vibe from that song. And I think you're talking about that guitar, whatever you want to call it, the riff or whatnot. I forget what song that is, but yeah, th- there's that little interlude. Yeah, I totally got Prince vibes too. And I think you said it best earlier also. That is maybe the most 90s song or early 90s song there could it possibly be. The most 90s beat to ever 1990, as you said. But yeah, I got serious Prince vibes and that was actually a pretty good song. So we got three more episodes. Chico, take us to that ninth episode. Episode nine, Marital Blitz. After several police officers, including Quinn and Campo, are awarded the Los Angeles Police Medal of Valor, interviewers get Kendrick to say he believes LaRusso is innocent. Quinn later tells Campo that she has asked for a new partner, and Campo shows his understanding of her decision. Campo later meets his new partner, a dull Officer Petrovich, while Quinn is paired with a rude and sexist Officer Stillman. While LaRusso's trial begins... Plank decides to get back together with Kendrick on his birthday, who happily agrees. While working, Petrovich reveals her intimate feelings for Campo and kisses him. Soon after, Campo reports Petrovich's actions to Hollander, who dismisses the claims, and Stillman argues about being assigned to a female partner. After receiving more complaints, Hollander becomes annoyed and tells the entire police force to stop. At the trial, Potts tells the jury that LaRusso executed Weeks and that he wanted to tell the truth to make his family proud. Songs include Heroes All, For the Record, Bumpty Bumpty, (laughs) and my personal favorite, Quit Your Bitchin'. I got a name in this episode, not a big name, but I just think his role in a certain movie is something that deserves to be mentioned. Playing Ray Rodbard in this episode is Jeffrey Allen Chandler, and he played Alan Freed in La Bamba. Ooh. Yeah, that's why it caught my eye. And it's like, okay, yeah, he was in La Bamba, some other stuff, but he played Alan Freed. I think that's really interesting. And fun fact, Mike, related to you the mascot Moondog gets its name. Because that's what Moondog was the name of Alan Freed's fan base. The Moondogs. Right. Yeah, and actually, I don't know if it's still going on. It may have stopped within the last 10 years or so. But there used to be a concert here in Cleveland at uh, Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse or what used to be the Q or Gundarina called the Moondog Coronation Ball. And what they would do is get four or five old bands from primarily the 60s and 70s and just have a big concert. Always wanted to go there because they always used to get big names. They used to get like Herman's Hermits, you know, Peter Noon, other bands of that caliber from the 60s. Not like the really big, big, big bands, but still quality names. And I'm just a fan of that music. 60s music, 70s music. Late 50s music. Love it. And you would have been great at the end if Moondog came out and gave everyone a wedgie at the end of the show. What song do we have? 
It's called Quit Your Bitchin'. Oh, I can't wait to hear this. I'm adopting that as my new theme song. I love that. But also, I just like how they rhymed kitchen with bitchin'. That was great. All right, Chico, episode 10. Episode 10. No noose is good news. Several police officers hold a birthday party for LaRusso and present him to a stripper. At the police station, Campo is introduced to his new partner, Officer Jessica Wolfe. In couples counseling, Quinn reveals to Ruskin that she has intimate feelings for Campo. Ruskin leaves after threatening domestic assault and later tells Quinn that he wants a divorce. While multiple female officers go undercover as prostitutes, Kendrick begins suffering from hallucinations in which he is hanged for his offensive comments. At LaRusso's trial, the jury finds him not guilty. Songs include To Live and Die a Cop, Choose Me, Tenderness, Your Number's Up, and Reasonable Doubt. There's no new characters of note in this episode, so let's go see what Greg has pulled up for this episode. Greg, surprise me. 
Several police officers are holding a birthday party for LaRusso, and they're presenting him a stripper. So let's hear to live and die a cop. It's too hot in the spotlight. I got no use for fame. And everybody tells me I'm gonna be a household name. A little peace and quiet would really hit the spot. Cause all I ever wanted, all I ever dreamed of, was just to live and die a cop. If they're looking for a hero, they can find somebody else. I just did my duty according to myself. Now they treat me like I'm a special. I wish to God they'd stop. Cause all I ever wanted, all I ever dreamed of, was just to live and die a cop. Give me back my freedom Give me back my gun I just did what had to be done If I had to do it over Maybe I'd think twice Cause this crap I gotta go through Ain't hardly worth the price these parasites and leeches Gonna bleed me till I drop And all I ever wanted All I ever dreamed of Was just to live and die A cop That was a lot of skin being shown for 10 o'clock on a weeknight in 1990. Now, admittedly, most of what we saw was basically from her legs down or her basically hips down. But that was a lot of skin uh, being shown there for 1990. But also, and I told this to Greg, somebody was passing someone a rubber chicken? Yeah. I don't get that. I don't think I've ever, well, well, first off, I'll just flat out say it. I've never been to any party that's had a stripper, so I don't know what goes on there, and in case you don't know, I don't drink or do anything like that. I just never thought a prop that you would see in a party with a stripper would be a rubber chicken. Shows what I know. Okay, Chico, here's the final episode. The final episode, bang the pots slowly. As LaRusso rejoins the police force, Potts is told that he can move to a different division. An investigation is initiated after multiple college students report being sexually assaulted and raped by an unknown assailant. After receiving a warrant for one of the suspects, Donald Bruckner, the police investigate his home. However, Stillman decides to violate the warrant by entering the house where he finds evidence of Bruckner being the rapist. McIntyre confronts Stillman for committing an illegal search, 
meaning the evidence cannot be used due to the exclusionary rule, or as they say in the law enforcement community, the fruit of the poisonous tree. Soon after, Rose and Gaines arrest Bruckner without warrant, where a rape victim at the police station declares Bruckner was the assailant who raped her. Hollander calls Stillman a bad cop as LaRusso overhears. Meanwhile, Quinn moves out of Ruskin's house. Plank begins making television advertisements for a political campaign, and LaRusso is given a proposal to have a producer create a film surrounding his case. As Kendrick prepares to retire, the police force says goodbye. Songs include Ties That Bind, I Got Something For Ya, How Do You Say Goodbye, Clean It Up, and the finale, Will Ride Again. The only person of note who shows up in this episode, and we talked about him earlier, is Mitchell Lawrence as Elliot Weinstein. Greg, take us home with a real good song, please. Well, here we go. This is the final moment from Cop Rock. Will ride again. And I think at this point, they knew they were done after this episode. Because this aired the day after Christmas 1990. That tells you a lot about how much they wanted to just get rid of the show ABC. So, here it is. Will ride again. I can't believe they canceled us. Yeah, I know. I only got to sing one song. Two. Excuse me, one. No, two. You sang that one song here in the office, uh, what do you call it? How to Love a Woman, and uh, the song in the dream sequence where they hang me in my underwear. Yeah, but that wasn't my song, that was Carl's. Oh, well, you still got to sing in it. I only got one song the whole time. Well, you're not really a singer. What do you mean I'm not really a singer? I started in this business as a singer. This was a great job. I love my character. I'm gonna miss the people. Yeah, me too. Well, I guess it ain't really over till the fat lady sings.
literally had the fat lady singing. <laughs> no, yeah, no joke. She was on a swing hanging from the, the rafters from the ceiling. They really had the fat lady sing, and that truly was the last scene on the last episode of Cop Rock. Uh, as the song ended, you saw the Stephen Boschko credit pop up, and you heard they reference ABC and that they got canceled. I think this is as close to like breaking the fourth wall as like the I Married Dora final episode, where they were in the airport. And they said our flight got canceled. Oh, and so did we. Bye-bye. I thought that was clever. But clearly, like you said earlier, Greg, they knew they were gone. They were definitely 11 and out. I don't know if we necessarily need to go over what happened. The show was different. I mean, they tried some experimental stuff with the mixing of music and the cop procedural, which didn't necessarily work. The ratings were abysmal, to say the least. Uh, I don't have exact numbers with me, but I did some research earlier today, and often this show was in the 70s and even the 80s in terms of television shows. You're not getting renewed in the 70s and 80s. Well, heck, let's not even talk about renewal. It made 11 episodes. So pretty much the writing was on the wall really, really early. One week I'm looking at, this is from late October, early November of 1990. Top Rock was 81st that week. That was out of 88 shows. And taking a look at the shows that it beat, all but two were Fox shows. It beat Beverly Hills 90210. It beat Cops. It beat Totally Hidden Video. The only non-Fox shows Cop Rock did better than, it tied actually with a Peter Jennings special about abortion. And also it beat Life Stories on NBC, whatever that is. Now the schedule itself, it aired at 10 o'clock, as I alluded to earlier, on ABC on CBS at that point was a show called WIOU, which I do believe we have as a feature installment. But also, I noticed that there were some Mike Wallace news specials at that hour as well. So the competition wasn't really big necessarily on CBS. And even on NBC, it wasn't that big. It is big, but it's not that big for a reason. It went up against Hunter. And the reason I say it's not that big, with all due respect to Fred Dreyer, this was Hunter's last season, 1990-91. So it lasted 11 weeks, and people of a certain age definitely remember Cop Rack as being one of the biggest busts in TV history. If you'd like to see it, obviously there's YouTube with its questionable legality. But it was released in 2016 on DVD by Shout Factory. Because, of course, Shout Factory, they'll release anything. So that means there's a possibility it might appear on a streaming Shout TV channel. Something to look out for. But I'm looking at it right now on Amazon. If you want to get the series right now, as of the time of recording, 
$16.36. So what's that? About a buck and a half an episode. You can listen to all the music that we played and much, much more. I wonder if it's not just the ratings that made this show a bust that got it canceled after 11 episodes. You got to figure the cost of doing all these songs, the performers, the writers, that's got to be big bucks. And especially since you have like seven songs in each episode, you know, seven times 11 would be 77 songs. Yeah, getting the people to perform that many songs and to write that many songs, that's got to really get up there really fast. Well, I don't know what else we can say about this. Cop Rock, it was supposed to be a big thing, a big groundbreaking, revolutionary thing in 1990. Unfortunately, people saw it and... I think they had the same reaction that me and Greg had throughout this, especially with the musical numbers, where it's laughable at times. And also at the same time, there were a lot of copycats. We mentioned earlier, there was a Prince influence in a song. You could clearly hear that. The one episode sung by the girl band definitely had like a Bangles influence. Maybe audiences just found this entirely too corny. And for all those reasons, Cop Rock, it's our 450th thing on TV. Greg, I think it's time for a palate cleanser. Do you have a Russell Westbrook update for us? Oh, let me do that. Russell Westbrook, he can sure score triple doubles, but he sure as hell can't think straight when he's trying to make a pass. It's the Russell Westbrook update. So in our last update on Russ in the January 12th update, I mentioned that they were on their way to beating Memphis. They beat Memphis 128 to 119. Russ had 12 points. On Sunday, January 14th, they lost to Minnesota by four. Russ scored another 12 points with 13 assists, so a double-double. So January 16th against Oklahoma City, Russ had 11 points in a 128-117 win. And then on January 21st against the Brooklyn Nets, Russ scored 23 points in 31 minutes in an 11-point win. Then against the Lakers on January 23rd, the Clippers won by 11. Russ scored 16 points. And then tonight... Against Toronto, the Clippers won 127-107. to 20 points for Russ with five rebounds and three assists. And as we're recording this tonight, actually in between tapings, we saw history tonight. Oh, did we see history. I think this week may go down as one of the most amazing weeks in NBA history. You had Joel Embiid score 70 points. On Tuesday against the San Antonio Spurs, the same night, Carl Anthony Towns scored 64 points. And then tonight, Luka Doncic put up 73 points. And Greg, you're not going to believe this. Devin Booker put up 62 points tonight. Wow. So we had... Four games this week, just in the last three nights, 
where somebody scored at least 60 points. And I even mentioned to Greg earlier, I said, how do you not name Joel Embiid and Luka Doncic as co-player of the week? Because you can't tell somebody, oh, you only scored 70 points. You can't be player of the week. How can you tell two others who scored more than 60 points they can't be player of the week? This is just a mind-blowing week. I've never seen anything like this. And I'm loving every minute of it. I know Greg saw the last few minutes of the Luka Doncic performance. I watched like the second half of the Joel Embiid performance on Tuesday. That was amazing. It was a sight to behold because the basket was about the size of a hula hoop. He could not miss from three-point range, from long range. Everything went in the basket. So, yeah, this is a, a very historical week. And also, Greg, since you're talking about Russell Westbrook, the Clippers are coming to Cleveland on Monday. So by the time this episode gets released, we'll know whether the Cavs or the Clippers won. But I'm thinking about going to that game, not just because of the Russell Westbrook factor or the Clippers factor, the Cavs are wearing their City Edition uniforms, which I think are absolutely awesome. We'll see if I go to that. I don't know. It's it's after school on uh, Monday night, and I'm usually very tired on Mondays. But even if I don't go, I'm going to watch the game. But, yeah, the NBA action this week has been just off the charts amazing. All right, now let's close up the show. That's going to do it for this episode. But please remember, you can go to our website at itwasathingontv.com. We have 449 previous episodes there. And on top of that, we've got great stuff like mini-shows and live shows, extended versions, instant reactions. we got a whole bunch of stuff, almost 600 files at this point. So plenty to listen to. And please remember, we're on all social media at It Was A Thing On TV. But remember, Facebook, we're at It Was A Thing On TV podcast. And also, if you want to find us on Mastodon, remember you've got to search for us at It Was a Thing on TV at TVWatch.party. And of course, every Friday we got the On the Bus Cuts over at Place Deviation Pop. So you can listen to the whole thing on Friday. And But oh my God, if you've been listening to this the last hour and a half, two hours, oh God, what a show this has been with Pop Rock. Oh my God. But remember, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever fine podcasts can be streamed, either Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, Audible, etc. And don't forget, we are on YouTube. We can like and subscribe to the channel. And don't forget to hit the notification bell on YouTube to be informed of all future uploads on this channel, including what's coming up on the podcast next. Well, Mike, next week, it's going to be a super week because it's Super Bowl Sunday coming up. No, 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 we can't say Super Bowl. It's the big game with big right. honk and air quotes. Well, hey, Greg, that's like a trademark name. I don't want them coming after me saying, you've got to pay money for this because that's our trademark. No, no, it's the big game. Yeah, like I'm sure Roger Goodell has so many priorities to go after a two-bit podcast like this. Greg is the one who said it. Don't find me, find him. But anyhow, we do have a big game coming up. Or I'm sorry, not a big game. We have the big game coming up. So with the big game coming up, 
We have two regular episodes and we have two mini-sodes. You're going to get football out the wazoo next week. We're going to start off with a very short-lived cartoon. Yes, a football cartoon that was done by the fine folks at Hanna-Barbera. Oh, and it's a series that didn't last a crack block, one of the few Hanna-Barbera series from that time that didn't. It's all about football, baby, with a lot of familiar voices. And then in the second episode, we're going to go back and talk about some of the commercials from a Super Bowl in the early 2000s. Greg has certain feelings about that, so we're going to talk about that. But also, the two minisodes. The first one, a certain singer has brought attention to the NFL this year because she's dating a certain NFL player. You know who I'm talking about. But a number of years ago, that person, not the singer, the football player, had his own reality show where he thought he was going to find love. Boy, this sounds like a Taylor Swift song ready to be written. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I spoil anything about who this might be? I'm sorry. Well, hold on a second, Mike. At the time we're recording this, we don't know if he's going to be playing it this year's big game yet. True, but still, he had this reality show a number of years ago, and we're going to do a quick little dive into it. But the second minisode, there was an incident last year, and I know that Greg had thoughts about it, and I had thoughts about it, and Chico had thoughts about it. And we thought this was going to be one and done. Nope. We're going to have a second version of it this year. Hopefully with a little bit less scandal and hopefully not as just annoying as last year's version of it. But since they're playing ads out the wazoo here in Cleveland already, and presumably the rest of the country, I think we're going to have a repeat of what happened last year. So we have two episodes and two minisodes, you are just going to get episodes galore next week right here at It Was a Thing on TV. Thank you very much for listening. Tico, come back. We need you here next week for the football episodes. We'll see you then. Stay safe. And again, thanks as always for listening. Well, to close this out. Yeah, how are you going to close this? I, I can't wait. Well, I got a song to close this out. When you look at this place. You want a picky? <laughs> I try not to want things I'm never going to have. That's the difference between you and me. I want what I want. Big screen, color TV, remote control to turn it on. A VCR, one for you and me. They got a water fountain in the john. Running through your hair. It's a long way from the station house up to this part of town. Maybe we've died in 
Say this if there was like a two or three cd set of songs from cop rock i would definitely buy it but i know what you're saying mike you said earlier the dvd can be bought for 16 dollars. no i don't want to see the show itself i want to hear the songs so you know forget the actual like you know 40 minutes 35 minutes of show i want that 10 minutes of songs in each episode I know we're like 34 years past this happening, but I got to make like a, a mixtape or something like that. Listen, Lala Land Records, make a CD compilation of all the songs on it. I beg you, please. Well, wait, doesn't Shout TV have some association with some sort of uh, CD maker? Maybe. I thought they did. I thought for some reason Shout is like associated with Rhino or something like that, but maybe I'm way far off there. Even Shout TV, I'm sure, could release something like that on their own. They've done music in the past. I mean, there's actually some sort of big package of like the entire collection of Alf and Alf Tales and Alf the Animated Series, and they included a record of some sort. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but they have the capabilities, so... Maybe they can do it. Maybe I'm going to be the only person who'd buy it, but it's an idea. Maybe I should just rip the uh, the songs off of uh, YouTube and make my own playlist or something. I don't know. Ding, 